0: Hello and welcome to Brokenomics. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at the fourth turning. The fourth turning is an absolutely fascinating concept. Um, it's entered common parlance at this point. A lot of people talk about it. It's a, it's a book that has been especially popular amongst finance people, uh, and and it's referred to sort of offhand. Now you often hear people saying that uh, you know we're in a fourth turning now. Uh, and I thought it was really worth getting stuck into this book because it gives us a quite a good lens actually to understand what's going on why um, history might be cyclical, uh, why generations act the way they do, um, and, and get into the meat of it because it's an important concept. It's a useful model for understanding the world as it is. Um, it is going to get a tiny bit boomery bashing. Um, can't be helped. I've been I've been very kind to the baby boomers uh, so far in this series, but um, the guy who wrote this book, well, two of them, both of them are boomers, um, they, their interpretation of history is, is not as kind as it could be to that generation but um, there are good reasons for it and um, it, it describes why so yeah, let's explain that so the fourth turning, oversimplified is, and I'm sure you've heard this meme it's the um, good times um, well, strong men create good times is, 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 the, is the way it starts uh, good times create weak men Weak men create bad times and bad times create strong men and the cycle repeats again. That's essentially the the simple form of this concept, although they get significantly deeper than that and we get into it. Um, It was expressed in a book called The Fourth Turning. An American Prophecy, um, What History Tells Us About um, America's Next Rendezvous with History. And it was written by a couple of guys called William Strauss and Neil Howe, and they wrote that um, in the early 90s. It was published in 1997. And it was actually one of a series of books that they produced. The first one was called Generations, and they've got another one, which is coming out fairly soon, which I'd like to talk about, which is why talking about The Fourth Turning now is an ideal opportunity. And um, perhaps if anyone knows um, Neil, and uh, they they can introduce me to him, um, I, I'd love to get him on Brokenomics for when the new book comes out. Right, before we do that, let's let's cover the existing uh, the exi- the existing book and the existing theory because it, it is so useful. Essentially, what it does is it is it gives us this generational. Um, theory of history that's based on generational changes so the theory is often known as the Strauss-Hall generational theory Um, and basically what it says is that um, history is shaped by the people within it obviously but more specifically the the generations of the people that are in it and that those generations are in turn shaped by history um, as they as they um, as they go through life as they go through their adolescent years and then when they come into their um, uh, their uh, their their main when they when they come into positions of power, the upbringing that they had and the the phase of history that they're in then goes on to shape that next phase in history. So let's look at this um, um, across the piece um, by by looking at this table. So this effectively shows um, the theory in graphical form. And let's go through it. It's, what it says is that history is divided into blocks. And each of these blocks is about the length of a, of a long human life. So it's something in the realm of, of 80 to 100 years for each block. And each block is divided into four turnings. Each of these turnings are somewhere between 20 and 25 years across. And each of the turnings is called in turn a high, an awakening, an unraveling, and a crisis. So we're just going to look at each of these in turn and then we're going to look at each of the generations uh, that comes with it. Now the generations, um, they are um, the prophets. These are the people who have their formulative years during the high. So they're born into, into good times. Um, then you've got the nomads um, these are the people who are born into the second turning the um the awakening when a lot of the a lot of the theory that went into creation of the high starts to get questioned then you get the heroes and they are born into the unraveling turning as the um, generational norms the societal norms start to become undone and then finally you have the artists who are uh, born into the crisis period the fourth, turning so the high this is a period of strong institutions and a sense of collective destiny and you've got to remember this high period it follows an immediate crisis before so everybody has had to get through the crisis and they've had to um, work together on a strong sense of collective identity so individualism is weak during this period, but institutions and community is strong. Okay, This would have been, in our most recent example, the post-war period of Second World War. Now then there's the awakening. The awakening, as you can see from the chart, that would have been about mid-60s to maybe mid-80s. This is a time when people who grew up during that high period, who would have been children over this time, um, now they're starting to enter the workforce, they're starting to enter academia, uh, they're starting to get involved, and they don't have any memory of the crisis period that led to the high that they're now living in. So they're really starting to question. They're starting to say, you know, what are the values here? They're starting to push for their own um, individuality away from institutions. Um, It can be a sort of spiritual awakening. It can be protests. But essentially what's happening is these institutions are being attacked in the name of personal and spiritual autonomy. The third turning, the unravelling. Now, that's a period of disunity, distrust, pessimism and the old order order really starts to come apart during this period. Um, There's a strong push for individuality, uh, personal autonomy, the pursuit of self-interest, and the idea of um, the collective really starts to get defamed in this period. And then you have the crisis. It is a period of upheaval um it's a period of destruction where people um are emphatically against the sort of collective um the collective community spirit and there's a strong sense of urgency that things need to go through dramatic change we're trying to replace old institutions those old institutions of course don't want to be replaced and the period of crisis is, is a disruption that leads way to the next time now all of this will make a lot more sense when we start to put it into into um historical context uh, you know going back over our most recent experience although this does work over over quite long periods so according to Strauss and Hout these turnings are driven by these generational changes and each generation has its own characteristics they've got their own common beliefs they're shaped by their experiences their their formulative years um, and it results in four distinctive generational archetypes now these are The prophets, like I say, these are people who were born during the high. Um, They grew up as very indulged children because, of course, their parents have recently lived through a a very difficult crisis period. Um, And they come into their own during the the awakening and they spend their midlife in the unraveling. So the prophets, an example for us, would be the boomers. Um, They grew up in the immediate post-war period. They entered the workforce during the awakening, so this would have been the sort of mid sixties to the eighties. That's when they're sort of really starting to come into their own, um, and it is not until the unraveling when they are um, basically occupying these positions of power um, that that causes that, that causes that unraveling. Um, and then, of course, they they basically get us to the crisis, um, which they're. Uh, their push and their drive throughout their life has, has ultimately led us to as the institutions start to unravel and social norms start to unravel. Um, and then, of course, they um, they they exit the field because, of course, a, a long human life does only get you to about 80 to 100 years, which is the the, the, the sample size of this entire turning. Then you've got the nomads. For us, this is going to be Generation X. Um, it's going to be um, people who grew up um, who are um, uh, the children in this case of, of the silent generation the people who did actually live through the crisis the the generation that came before the boomers they are um, coming into their own, when the uh, social norms are already starting to unravel, so they have—they have, you know, uh, some recollection of the post-high. They've still got um, some experience of it, but at this point, the social norms, the um, institutions are strongly being questioned, and things are starting to break down. Um, that thus the experience of the of of, of Genex and they they tend to be um, quite nihilistic as a result of this. Then we got the heroes. Um, the heroes are the people who um, they grew up in a sort of you know they they grew up in the awakening and they come of age during the crisis. Now the, um, the, the 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 former example of, of heroes is going to be the the GI generation or the or the Greatest Generation. They're going to be the people who, in the previous crisis, it basically came down to them to fix the ship. So um, in that uh, in that previous time, um, the the um, you know the the missionary generation, which would have been the previous cycles version of the Boomers, the Nomads. And the Lost Generation would have been the ones in the position of power, but it was the it was the GI generation the ones who ultimately charged with um, charging into the breach and trying to uh, trying to put the ship right after the um, society had been torn asunder. And the current cycle version of those is going to be the Millennials they fit into the heroes and we 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 talk about more that um then of course the last um the last generational archetype is going to be the artists these are um well it would have been the silent generation the generation above the boomers um and today of course it is the zoomers now they are born during the crisis period they tend to grow up um with um very overprotective um adults who typically would have been the, the the gen x generation um, and their their lot in life is to experience the crisis at an age where they're probably a little bit too young to um, contribute to the resolution of that, or some of the older ones might be able to. Um, and then they go forwards into the high, um, the, the, the restitution of this as the new societal norms are set up, and they start to set things right. So I think now it's appropriate to start getting a little bit deeper into each of these um each of these blocks and we we try and fit the theory together so that high period so this is the this is the first turning um in this theory and it is a period of strong stability strong institutions because you've got to remember the, these people they've just been through a major crisis uh it it has been previously um it would have been the the war era it would have been the great depression and the war although we will talk about there's been a number of crises. Um, this theory runs back many, many centuries. And the high is always characterised in a certain way. So very strong um, institutions, very strong leadership. So the leaders of this time are noteworthy individuals who who people can respect. People generally like the government. They generally like the educational bodies. Um, the corporations are strong, well-respected. Um, society functions smoothly Uh, political leaders tend to be quite pragmatic they tend to be quite action orientated they tend to be focused on building um, literally building as well as societal infrastructure but also um, literally building now you know can you imagine that a generation of people that that actually build stuff Um, you know we we see very little building taking place at the moment very little infrastructure i mean i i was wound up recently because it's quite hot at the moment and um, i got a, a hosepipe ban come through the door on uh on some printed piece of card and i'm looking at this and thinking well okay so the last reservoir in the uk was built in 1991 and the population has increased officially by 26 percent since then so you're increasing the population through your Uh, Mass immigration policies, but you're refusing to build any new infrastructure because, of course, every single penny has to go towards a series of insurance programs, largely for the benefit of the uh, of the boomers and and, and those who who tend to prefer not to work. So, uh, yes, that 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 is. But then we're in a crisis period at the moment. But the high periods. In this case would have been well, the, um, you know the late 1940s, the, the 1950s and the early part of the 1960s. It was a period of, of a lot of building, a lot of house building uh, went on then, um, as well as the um, ooh, as well as the institutions. There was a very strong community spirit during a high. Um, it's often characterized by a sense of um, shared values. Um, society tends to be very cooperative during that period um it is you know quite locally it is the it is the era where you can leave your door unlocked um it prioritizes the greater good over individualism. There's a strong sense of national and civic duty and participation in in public life. All of those things are important. It tends to be a period of economic prosperity because um wealth is a lot more um uniformly distributed at that time. If you remember from the previous one of the previous brokenomics, we talked about um what happened in 1971. And we spent a lot of time looking at graphs showing that uh, wealth has been getting steadily and steadily more concentrated in the hands of, of fewer and fewer people because of the effects of the, the fiat money system we talked about but also the effect of uh, through the lens of this theory it's going to be because basically the rules are configured in such as ways to benefit a narrower and narrower group and after having gone through a crisis and you know in this case we're talking about the war but you know, whatever crisis comes next, any of the previous crises that we talked about, there tends to be a general resetting, and there tends to be a reset towards those who are contributing there and then. So, effectively, a move away from um, capital towards labour. So, the high is characterized by a period of very high um, uh, equality. Effectively, I kind of want to say that it feels like a leftist term, but but that is literally what it's saying. There tends to be a far more robust uh, middle class um, and and decent social safety nets, as well as, as, as along with that community spirit. The high tends to be a period of a lot of innovation and construction. It's a time of of building, um, so lots of infrastructure, as I mentioned, um, lots of social norms, cultural expression um, tends to um, emphasise all of those values. And there's a big focus on the future. It's often marked by a time of optimism. Forward looking perspective, and there's this sense that society is progressing towards something that is going to be better than the past. Um, certainly, something that we don't feel at the moment. However, from the perspective of some people in it, some people who are, you know, growing up in this era, who haven't experienced the previous crisis, there can also be a sense that there is too much conformity. Um, they feel that the the social consensus is too strong, institutions are too strong, and it leads to a pressure to conform, that it stifles individualism, uh, diversity of thought. And so you start to get those people who feel they, they're marginalised and they start to, to challenge the status quo. There's also, perhaps negatively, there's, there's also a lot of complacency during a high. Um, people think that the societal benefits that they can... They can take them for granted, um, especially if you're growing up during this year, if you haven't experienced the previous crisis. Um, and that sows the seeds for the future crises that can come along. Also, this period tends to be fairly technocratic. Because there's a high degree of faith in institutions during this time, it can tend to lead to a fairly technocratic style of, of governance um, because there isn't that sort of vigorous level of debate about um, what the shape of the society could be because that has already been determined um, coming out of the previous crisis, but it is a period of stability, uh, prosperity, strong institutions. So you can see how this fits into the, the context of the 1950s, which were um, you know often regarded as, as, as something of a, of a golden age. Okay, then the awakening. This is. Um, <sighs> If, you, if you're going to look at it charitably, you'd say that this is a cultural and, and spiritual renewal. Um, there's a resurgence of um, questioning all of the values and norms that were established during the high. And this is, this is accompanied by a shift in focus from um, materialism and, and social institutions to individualism and sort of inner growth. And this challenge goes directly to institutions and leadership. So if you think about this in the most recent context, it's going to be you know, the later 60s and the 70s and that was indeed exactly what we saw. There was strong pushback against institutions. Um, it was the it was the hippie era um, it was um, challenging in, in the UK of course we would have had the, um, the the big union push that we had at that time. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the challenges um both both societally and, and and institutionally because what you're effectively getting is you're getting that bigger and bigger gender gap you're getting people who are more and more removed from the period of crisis that came before it um and so they they don't understand why the world was set up in the way it was it's it's a time of flourishing ideas it's a time of um you know, perhaps it's quite strong in in philosophy, in religion, and art and social theory. However, a lot of this social theory, of course, is going to be quite subversive, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of entropy, um, perhaps rather than what it would present itself as progress. So, the downsides of of this awakening area is going to be this is a, a significant period of of increased um, societal conflicts, um, social norms. Uh, and it starts to lead to a bigger and bigger um, spirit of divisiveness and tension. And at the time a lot of this is going to be expressed at this time primarily in uh, the academy, in um, academia and um, and the and the, uh, the universities. But nevertheless, of course that um, that ethos is then being pushed out to the students who will as we will later see, um, start to start to dominate. And it is also an era of a neglect of physical infrastructure. So the 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 enthusiasm has gone out. So the the spend on infrastructure starts to starts to tail off. Okay, the third turning, the unraveling. Now this is a period where um, institutions are are starting to decay. At this point, L- leadership is is getting weaker. So in our case, this would have been the mid eighties up to about two thousand and eight. Um, People are increasingly distrusting their, their governments, um, their, their institutions. There is a greater sense of dissolution with politics. And it leads to a stronger and stronger rise in individualism, a uh, greater emphasis on, on personal autonomy. And as those institutions start to weaken, uh, there's often a push for more decentralized solutions. Um, local control of things, um, and and basically trying to take everything away from those from those um, institutions that you can, or attempting to um, subvert and take over those institutions. So the downside of this area is going to be it's it's a neglect of the common good. People start to fracture. People no longer, and this is but was written from the perspective of an American so it is it is less and less emphasis on what it is to be an American and more and more emphasis on what it means to be some fractured part of that whole so a um, an an interest group you know um, we we tend to see the conflict between the genders and the races and the ages and so on and basically anything that splits us away from that common collective identity so society starts to fragment social norms start to be heavily attacked during this period. So um things like traditional marriage um you know this the, the unraveling is the period of um divorce and the rise of a lot of new sexual identities. and this is not something that's unique to the um. To, the, to our current unraveling, as you see in the book if you want to go in and dive into this much more detail this is a cycle that has repeated many many times there is a a push towards more divergent sexualities and ways of expressing yourself and this typically tends to start to really rise in the the unraveling period right and then the crisis so the strong institutions that everybody um, lives under those that, that were designed in the immediate previous post-crisis period and the end of the crisis period, and, and became strengthened and renewed during the the former high. All of those institutions are still in place; those are still the governing structures. But during the crisis, those institutions have been significantly weakened. The underlying logic for them has been undermined. So you then start to see. Um, an absolute collapse in the standards of leadership um, i mean if you look at the politicians we've got today they are phenomenally weak leaders they are phenomenally uninspiring people you, when you you know you're in a crisis because you look at your political leadership and almost everybody thinks yeah i could do a better job than that that is that is typical of a of a crisis under this theory and well it's i mean it's obviously true that we that we, that we can experience it now community spirit has effectively died at this point um nobody feels that sense of allegiance to um the people of 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 the greater good so you know people don't feel an allegiance to each other on the basis simply of being an american they start to feel or 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 brit they, they start to feel um allegiance to one of their very um fractured groups whatever that might be uh, but effect- effectively at this point everybody is, is sort of largely out out for themselves and it's a complete realignment of ideas and cultures um often with quite bizarre ideas starting to come into this um And of course the the greatest thing about a crisis is that it is often marked by a period of um, significant violence... Or disruption, as we as we find when we start to talk about these past crises. So let's look at a number of these past crises because this theory basically suggests that you can chop history up into these various uh, blocks, eighty to hundred years, and you can you can explain this going well back. So if that's the case, we should be able to look at previous crises to see if it fits in, and, and remarkably, it does incredibly well. So. Um, let's go back to War of the Roses that fits in with a crisis period that's going to be what's that the the, sort of the 1460s to about the mid 1480s War of the Roses that was for a crisis period Um, the Armada Crisis so the um, the attempted invasion um, of England by the Spanish that occurred in the subsequent uh, crisis block the Glorious Revolution um, with King James II in England um, that would have been 1675 um, until the the early part of the um, you know the, the the 1700s. Now this book was written from the perspective of the Anglo's, um, but it was written by American authors. So after this, um, after that Anglo history, it sort of transitions fairly seamlessly to the American perspective. But again, it, it, it sort of lines up perfectly fine. Uh, the next crisis that comes after that from their perspective is going to be the American Revolution so uh, what's that 1773 to uh, um, 1794 this was the period where uh, 13 American colonies declared independence from Britain now really you can think of that as a as a civil war I mean effectively was that's how people at the time thought of it it is often portrayed in modern media as the Americans versus the British but at the time, they didn't have any concept of of that. They they thought of themselves at the time of British as British. So it, it would have been it wouldn't we wouldn't have made any sense to them uh, to put it in the in the terms that we put it in now. But they would have seen it as um, a, a civil war, and that and that fits into this crisis narrative. Now, um, again, rolling this forward, another history block, another eighty to hundred years later, and that gets us to the civil war. So 1860 to 1865, um, a major crisis um, in American history, of course. And again, it exactly fits that pattern of rolling forward another block. You go forward one more and you get the Great Depression, World War II. So um, we're taking that from about 1929 to 1946. So a a period of significant economic downturn followed by um, a major Global war that involved over 30 countries so you can see this pattern fits and let's start to fit the generations into it so you can see how this sort of all unfolds together and we're going to start with the the missionary generation the prophets of their time so the missionary generation they were people born in um, the the 1860s to about the you know 18 early 1880s Um, these are the people who grew up in the period of calm that followed the, the US Civil War. And they grew up during a period which was something of a golden age. In fact, it is referred to now as, as the Gilded Age. Um, there had been a renewal in the social order. And there was a huge amount of optimism during this time. Uh, children were well protected. There was a period of, of very strong economic growth, national confidence, the civil wars behind us, all of the fractiousness and all of the decay and all of the weak leadership, all of that had been cleared out at that point. And the missionary generation came into this and they grew up in that gilded age, but they lacked the perspective as to why these social norms existed in the way they do. And they started to find it stifling. And so that when they came into their um, into their early life, the the awakening period from their point of view, they wanted to push back against a lot of this stuff. So that's when you started seeing the emergence of um, new social movements, things like prohibition and, and women's suffrage, which, of course, as everybody knows, is, is, is one of the worst things that has, that has ever happened to women. Just look at Sweden today. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.